getting ready to preach. We have been in the book of Daniel. Today we're continuing that in Daniel chapter 4. Last week, of course, we did online only because of some COVID exposure within my family and uh, Anthony specifically. He uh, left Wednesday night, went back to college, was allowed back on campus, so uh, he is doing well. And uh, thank you for your prayers for him. Today, going to look at all of Daniel chapter 4, but going to read five verses here for you and focus on the fact that our God is worthy of praise. Daniel chapter 4, verse 33 in the New American Standard says this, Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised him and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will. In the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out, so I was established in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So today I want to preach, once again, our God is worthy of praise. Our God is worthy of praise. God bless you. You may be seated today. We are living in a day where people more and more readily question the existence of God. But unlike our past, it is said that some 99% of all people who have ever lived believed in a higher power. They believed in a God or they believed in multiple gods. In fact, really, the majority of people probably across uh, our history have believed in multiple gods. As Satan has come in and, and sought to take worship from the one true and living God and set up false gods. People would make idols and, and worship them. And I, I've mentioned this before, but it would ama- it's amazing to me how somebody with half of a brain could make a statue out of gold, silver, or wood and then bow down and worship that as though it is a god. That which they have just created, now they are worshiping. And we do that, unfortunately, in a lot of different ways where we take uh, God, who the God of, the, of heavens, and we put him in our image. We, in essence, make an image of our, our, what we think God should be like. And we make that into an idol, and we worship the God as we think he is instead of how he really is. Nebuchadnezzar, no different than many people today, seeing that there were, for him, there were a lot of gods. He could look around, and just like what Paul said in Romans, he said, when you look around and you see 
the heavens and you see the earth and you see all of the created order, you know there's a God. You can't help but believe that there is a God. However, by looking at creation, you can't know who that God is. You can't know what he's like other than the fact that he created all of this. You know somebody had to do it. It didn't just happen. That was not a big explosion and what you see just materialized out of thin air. So Nebuchadnezzar, not unlike all of the other people of his day, he believed in a multitude of gods. And he even probably at this point is believing in the God of the Jews, who is for him is just one of many gods. We saw in chapter 3 that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when, whenever they're delivered out of the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar says, nobody can talk ill of their God anymore. You don't have to worship their God. You don't have to bow down to their God, but nobody can talk bad about their God because he delivered them out of my hand. But Nebuchadnezzar not learning his less than not understanding that God was really the one who has raised him up and put him in the kingship that he has. I read it last week and, and alluded to it the, at times before that, that God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. He called him my servant who is going to come in and punish Judah. I'm going to switch to this handheld here. He, he began to think of himself as the one who was responsible for all of his greatness. That everything that he had accomplished, he began to take credit for it himself. We're living in a culture like that today where where people are denying the existence of God. They're denying that God created all of this and so that means that if God didn't do it, that man is now the top of the food chain. And that man is responsible for every good thing. And and for all of the bad things, man's responsible for that too. But man is the solution to all of the problems that you and I face. In fact, we're going to see this play out in the book of Daniel with this one world government that Daniel prophesies about. It's going to be a a man-made solution that is really empowered by Satan. But man is going to look to himself as the solution to all of his problems. So Nebuchadnezzar begins to take credit for everything good that's going on in his kingdom and for the power that he has. And when he does that, he, of course, wants to be worshipped. We saw that in Daniel chapter 3. You don't worship somebody who's not God, so he he wants to be worshipped. He is now beginning to deify himself. Well, God has a lot of grace But at times, his grace runs out. And with Nebuchadnezzar, his grace ran out. And God said, when when Nebuchadnezzar finally said, look at me and look at all that I have accomplished. Look at all the things that I have done and the, the greatness of my kingdom. God said, all right, that's enough. So what I didn't read to you is that when God has this, gives Nebuchadnezzar this vision and this dream of what's going to happen, of course, Daniel gets called in to, to interpret the dream and, and Daniel understands what the dream is about, but he doesn't really want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is about. That ultimately that God is going to bring punishment and judgment to Nebuchadnezzar and that for a period of time he is going to lose his mind. And he's going to be out in the field and he's not going to be taking showers and he's not going to be cleaning up and he's going to be running around or crawling around like a wild animal. Sure enough, the Bible says immediately 
after he understands what this vision, this dream is about, that he, his mind goes from him and he is pushed out of the palace. Those who had been serving him are no longer serving him. And so he is pushed out of the palace. And for a period of time, he has literally lost his mind. His reason has gone from him. But then at the end of the period, the Bible tells us that he recognized the goodness and the greatness of God. And when he did, his reason returned to him. Now, I would tell you this, that I was born in Pentecost. My dad is a Pentecostal preacher. I was raised in a Christian family. It had nothing to do with me, but it was only by God's grace that that I know what I know and that I was raised in a family that taught me the ways of the Lord and taught me biblical values. But we, we live in a culture where that is not always the case, that people may, many times, you may think this is crazy, but even in the United States of America, there are people that have never heard of Jesus. If the circles they run with and, and the family that they're a part of don't know Jesus, then nobody's talking to them about Jesus. And even if they've heard his name, they don't know anything about him. They don't know what it means. They don't know that they need to know him. They don't know that he is the only way to heaven. They don't know that he is the only Savior. And I, and I would just caution us before I get into the body of our message to understand this, that it's not because I'm anything that I'm standing here today. It's not because, because I'm special that I was born into a family that taught me about Jesus. Paul would say this in, to the Corinthians as he listed off a long line of sins. And he said, and such was some of you, but now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified by the Spirit of our God. That the grace of God just allows us to be in His presence and the grace of God allows us to be saved. The grace of God allows us to know him. Nebuchadnezzar didn't really know who the God of the Jews were. He knew his name because he heard it, but he had defeated their God. In his mind, he had defeated their God when he took over the temple and destroyed it and took all of the instruments of worship. So God, though because of his pride, the pride of Nebuchadnezzar punishes him and causes him to recognize who he is. From this passage and from specifically the, the five verses that I read to you, I want to bring four truths about why you and I should praise God. Look at your neighbor if you have one close, say, We need to praise God, and he's going to tell us why. I'm not going to give you every reason why, but I'm going to give you just four from this passage. The first is this that God should be praised because he is everlasting says this, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. God is an everlasting God. Nebuchadnezzar, when he gets his mind back, he says, I'm going to praise God and honor God. And he began to do that. The word praise here specifically means to verbally proclaim greatness. That Nebuchadnezzar verbally began to talk about how good 
God was and how great God was that he opened his mouth and said, God, you are really the king of kings. You are really the Lord of lords. You are really the king of heaven. And he began to praise him and he began to honor him, which means to ascribe a majesty to him and basically to say that you are higher than every other God. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't stop believing in his gods, but he does take the God of of the Jews and says, you know what, you're better than all of the other gods that I serve. He says specifically, I'm praising and honoring you because you live forever. Now you and I, let me rephrase that, let me put myself, I have a difficult time comprehending forever. I can almost convince myself that I can believe in something that has no end. That it just keeps going on forever. But what I can't comprehend is something that was always here. Something that has no beginning. Because everything in in our context and in our world has a beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning... God created. It doesn't say in the beginning God came to be because he always was. I can't fathom something without a beginning, and I can almost comprehend something that doesn't end. He said, but God is great because he lives forever. He is a God who will never cease to be, and he is a God who always was. He is the God who is forever. But then he takes it a step further and he says, and his dominion is forever. Dominion means the place that you have authority and you're ruling over something. And when people get, get old, they lose their, most of the time they lose their, their physical strength. They lose their endurance. Sometimes they lose some of their mental capacity. And if you are a king and you lose your strength or your mental capacity, you're going to lose your dominion. Because somebody is going to come in and they're going to take over in that void of of strength, in that void of intelligence, they're going to take over your kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar says not only does he live forever, but his dominion is forever. We serve a God who's never going to get weak. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has all power and will always have all power, who has omniscience and will always have omniscience. His dominion will never end. And his kingdom, he says, will never end. There's never going to be an end to the rule and the reign of the God of glory. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I praise and honor you because you are forever. And I would tell you in this world that is quickly changing and it always in a state of of change and flux that God is never changing. He is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever, just as I mentioned. And whatever you needed yesterday, he can still do today. That whatever you need tomorrow, he can still do it tomorrow. Whatever you need, he never runs out of power. He never runs out of authority. He never runs out of dominion. And in this time that we're living in now, he's allowing humans to have their way. 
I looked, we looked at this already in this series. When he rolls out 2,000 years of human government in the, the dream that he gives Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of that time period, there is the stone that is not cut with hands, signifying that it is of divine origin that crushes the feet of the statue. And then at that point, he sets up a kingdom that everybody can see that is forever. Right now, he's still in charge. He's just letting people think they're in charge. There's coming a day when he's going to set up his kingdom and nobody will question who's really in charge. That every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Jesus Christ will be Lord over all and they will know it. The second reason that he should be praised is because his power is exceeding. Nebuchadnezzar says it this way. It is prayer or praise of thanksgiving. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? The question is really this, who is like our God? That nobody is like our God. God. His power is exceeding. He is far beyond our comprehension. He's far beyond our collective importance. And he said it this way, everybody else is accounted as nothing. I tried to think about this in terms that you and I can relate to, and I I, I failed to do so because I'm not smart enough. But what I, I thought about was, you know, I'm a decent-sized guy, 6'2", 230, rubber-coated steel. Some of you will get that. And I thought about me in comparison to an ant. We had a bunch of ants in our house the last few months. Anybody else have ants in your house? Okay, I guess I need a new house. Okay, one person, all right. And, and they, they would move around, and they ended up in the kitchen. We'd never had ants in our kitchen. Every morning, I'd come in there and be like, ugh. 35, 40, 122 ants. Had stuff out, man. They would eat the ant bait, and they'd just run around and multiply. I don't know what the deal was. Well, I'd come in, man. I'd start kill them every morning. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Not really. But I was thinking about when it says everybody else is accounted as nothing. Well, ants, you know, they have no chance against me unless there's about 10,000 of them or 100,000 of them. So it's like that analogy won't work, which means you can't comprehend the fact that our God who fills all space and time that if we took all of the collective 8 billion almost people in this world and took all of their strength and said, we're going up against God, God's like, that's nothing. Because his power is so far beyond anything you and I can comprehend. His power is far beyond the nuclear arsenal of the entire world. 
His power cannot be accounted. It's beyond our ability to even understand and know. And he says this, no one can strike his hand. It says, it's actually says ward off his hand. You can see it on the screen there, but what it really means is to strike his hand. I'm going to mess up the camera here. Steve, hold out your hand here. So if somebody does something, oh, I'm, I'm going to hit it here gently. Like, what are you doing? Anybody ever done that to your kid? They're reaching for something, you smack their hand? Nobody can strike against his hand. Nobody can ward it off and say, what are you doing and what have you done? Because he's the God who created all of this. He's the God who spoke all of this into existence. Nobody can question him. Nobody can, can, can push back against him. He is the God who is over all. He is a God who is unquestioned. We do live in a culture, in a world where people question him. Job tried that with God. And when he did, God's answer was this, where were you? When I spoke the stars into existence and I just spread them out, where were you when I created Leviathan and Where were you when I did all of this? And Job went from questioning God as, why are you doing this to me? To, All right, I'm going to praise you because I can't even compare to you and to compare to who you are. There is no comparison with our God. His power is exceeding. Thirdly, God should be praised because he is gracious. He says this, at that time my reason returned to me and My majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out, so I was reestablished in my sovereignty. And greatness was added to me. The reality is this, that God always punishes sin. It's not a question of whether He will punish sin. It's only a matter of when he will punish sin. And for Nebuchadnezzar, his time ran out. That God said, I, I'm no more of your pride, no more of your arrogance, no more of you taking credit for what I have done. And so God punished him. He humbled the prideful, as the scripture tells us. But what is always true about God is that He always restores those who repent. That when He punishes sin and things are going bad, that all you really have to do is turn to Him and say, God, I'm sorry. And the God who is gracious, the God who has mercy, will restore you and will forgive you and will take away the punishment of your sin. He is a God who is gracious. Grace in its simplest definition, you've heard me say this, is us getting that which is good that we do not deserve. Or as some would say, it is the unmerited favor of God. Favor that is not because of our merit. Nebuchadnezzar was placed as ruler of Babylon by God to 
and, and was allowed to achieve world dominance because it was bringing about God's plan. That he was punishing Judah for their sin and, and he was allowed to conquer the known world. But when he lifted up himself in pride and refused to acknowledge God, God punished that, but then all he had to do was repent. God, who is gracious, often will not allow us to go our own way. But he will do things to cause us to turn to him. That's his grace. That when we start down a path that's not good for us, a path that will take us away from from him, he puts roadblocks in the way. Sometimes it's situations and circumstances and and sometimes it's people and he puts them in our way and he doesn't allow us to go our own way because he's gracious. He said, I don't want you to go that way. It's not going to end well for you. But because I love you, I'm going to keep you from getting those bad things over there and I'm going to give you something good. Aren't you thankful that God is gracious? That God reached down and saved you and I'm thankful that I was born into a family that knew who Jesus was. I didn't deserve it, as I mentioned earlier, but by His grace, I am what I am. And by His grace, when I was seeking to go my own way and and walking away from God and doing things that weren't pleasing to God, God intervened and was constantly pulling me back. It's not in my notes. I've told this story before. Early 90s, 91, 92 probably 91, working for Nolan Road Auto Parts in Independence. Going to church every Sunday and Wednesday. Not really living for Jesus, but my dad was a pastor. So I went to church. Not living for him, and I had driven over to an O'Reilly Auto, auto Parts on 24 Highway there in Independence to pick up a part that we didn't have to take to one of our customers, and pulled out of the, the parking lot there going west on 24 Highway, playing with the radio in the 1980s. Four or so Ford F-150, no seatbelt on. Changing from one rock station to another. And as I'm looking down, the radio, the engine, everything cuts off. No AC. And I look up. Sitting in the road in front of me is a vehicle that was trying to go across and go east on 24 Highway. And as soon as I looked up, the radio comes on, the engine starts, and I hit the brakes. I didn't deserve God's protection. Wasn't really living for Him, wasn't really serving Him, but because of His grace... He didn't allow me to hit that car and go through the windshield. But he is a God who is gracious. That he will keep us from going down the wrong paths if we will just listen to him. 
Nebuchadnezzar could have refused to surrender to God. He would have stayed in those fields until he died. Jonah could have refused to go to Nineveh, and he could have stayed in the fish until he died. But God intervened and says, I I don't want you to go your own way. I don't want you to, to die in disobedience, but I want you to go. And God's grace got in the way of their decisions. And lastly, God should be praised because he is infallible. I I use this word, infallible, it means incapable of error. Nebuchadnezzar said it this way, all his works are true. And his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. There is nothing false in him. His works are all true. And there is nothing unjust in him. His ways are all just. The New Testament would say it this way, that he is both just and the justifier. And what that means is this, is that God is just in how he meets out punishment. But the reality is that every one of us in this room deserve to spend an eternity without Jesus Christ in hell. There's nobody that deserves salvation. Some are going to be saved because they choose to respond to him and turn to him and there are others that are not going to do that no matter what you do or what I do or what God does that they're going to shake their fist at him and say we're not going to serve you we're not going to submit to you so that New Testament passage means God is just when he sends them to hell he's also just when he takes us to heaven And he is the justifier. He has made us just as if we never sinned. I said this to the youth Bible study on Thursday. But, and I I use this periodically when I'm sharing the gospel with people. That the reality is this. God is just which means that every sin must be paid for. Every sin. That there is never a sin that has been committed since Adam and Eve that does not get paid for. The question is not whether it will be paid for, but the question is who will pay for the sin. And for those who come to Jesus, he has paid it all. That when we come to him, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross covers every sin. But for those who refuse to come to him, they will pay the penalty for their own sin. He is just. His ways are just. There is nothing that is not true in him. He is infallible. He is incapable of error. 
And when you and I don't understand his justice and we can't comprehend what he's doing, he is still right. And our responsibility when we see a God who is like that, when we see a God who is everlasting, whose power is exceeding, who is gracious and who is infallible, our response should be this, that we should lift our hands and we should lift our voices and we should offer him praise at all times and thank him for his goodness. Would you do that right now? Jesus, we love you. We magnify your name today. We magnify your name today. I've talked about why God is worthy of praise. But what about the when, the where, the how? Our passage didn't really address that. and So I built my sermon around the why. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't go to worship services. He didn't come to a place like this where it's time and, it's ded- and, and we're supposed to dedicate an hour and 15 minutes and worship God. Church services outside of a few organizations are called worship services. I don't use the word service of this. I use, if you look at Facebook and the things that we put out there, it's Sunday worship gathering, which means we're to gather together on Sunday to worship the king. But Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have that. There's no first church of Babylon. There's no synagogues in Babylon. But in the middle of the field, he offered up praise to God. He said, God, you are exceedingly powerful. You are everlasting. Your ways are true. Your ways are just. Everything about you is good, and you are worthy to be verbally praised. So verbally, we've done that as we talk about how good God is, and we talk about how wonderful He is. That's part of our praise. But praise goes beyond just the worship service and And praise goes beyond just what you and I should be doing on a daily basis where we take time out of our schedule and we devote it to Him and we pray and we talk about His goodness. And I always start all of my prayer sessions with praise following the the example of the, the outline of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, our holy is your name and a describing praise to God and giving him worship. So we should do that every day. But it's not just the worship service and it's it's not even just our daily times of prayer. But our lives and our daily actions should reflect our praise of God. That how we live should reflect 
what we think about him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And no man takes candle and puts it under a bushel. But he said, let your good works glorify your God who's in heaven. Let people see your good works. And he wasn't talking about let them see you praying because he, he debunks that in the next chapter. It's not about getting out in public and praying. But it's about living publicly in a way that will glorify God, that they will see your good works, that, that what we do should offer praise to him. Peter would write in, in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we are to show forth his praise in the way we live and in what we do. So my call to action is Threefold. Weekly. Praise God corporately. That's that Sunday worship gathering. Daily praise God privately. That's those times in your prayer closet as Jesus referred to it where you're just talking to him. It's that relationship time where you're talking to him and asking him about Whatever it is you need, you're asking him to supply that, but you're also giving him praise. But continually, that you and I should praise God with our actions. That at 2 o'clock today, my actions should be praising God. And that at 4 o'clock tomorrow, my actions should be praising God. Our God is worthy of praise. And that if you are a servant of Jesus Christ, that means you and I should be living a life that is praising Him at all times. If that's your desire, would you stand together right now? Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Would you ask God to to touch you right now by His power? Jesus, we love you. God, we magnify your name. We magnify your name today. God, we give you glory and honor and praise today because of who you are, because of what you've done.